God is good. Amen. And all the time? God is good. Okay, we're, that was the warm-up. Let's do it again. God is good? All the time. And all the time? God is good. All right, kids, you're dismissed to go on up to Kids Church. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the worship. Good morning, everyone. Hey, I don't know if we messed with this. Is this on? Thanks. The uh, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good is, is something that Pastor Bruce, who was the pastor here before I was, did all the time. Every Sunday he would get up, you know, God is good. And everyone say, you know, all the time and all the time, God is good. And, and that's what I, I want to share a little bit about today. Before I do that, Danny Fluke, come on up here. Danny's my buddy. We were having a meeting the other day, and he shared just uh, something with me that I said, Dan, would you just share with the church? So, Danny? Uh, thank you. Good morning. You know, as, as many of you know, Linda and I are building a house. I would not recommend that as an exercise to build your sanity, okay? <laughs> but if you want to build your faith, that's the best way to go. One of the major things that we found out through this house building is that I had it all laid out and all planned out how we were going to pay for this. Funny thing is, God had a whole different idea. And everything that I've come up with, he has shut down. But the house is being paid for through ways that we would have never, ever expected. One of the ways was we had inherited some property down in San Diego, and we put it on the market. It's agricultural property. It's really worth nothing. But, you know, we've got to try. Well, God brought a buyer for us. The, the problem with it, the, the challenge was that the buyer was going to give us half the money down and we were going to have to carry the paper for three years for the other half of the money. Well, we prayed about it. God said, do it. I've got this under control. You do that. The 11th hour, two days before we closed escrow, the buyer came in and said, you know what? We, and we're not comfortable making payments, so why don't we just pay cash for it? And that way they'll have everything they need. So I just want to encourage you, okay, if God's got you in a tough situation, we're still facing a significant shortfall, but God's got that figured out too. So just take the time to be still. Let him be God. Take a day off. Let God be, do everything, all right? Thanks, guys. Thanks. Take a day off. Uh, I like that. I like it. I want to thank uh, Francine for leading last week along with the team and for Lloyd uh, and Tom Santi sharing. I just thought it was great. Um, this morning's sermon is going to, in some ways, for some of you, be very simple and easy and will be what you call a slam dunk. For others, because life is not always fair, God doesn't promise us an easy journey. He does promise a safe landing for those who are in Christ. It might be hard. There may be some yeah buts. And so what I would do is I would ask you to not judge the message too prematurely. If there are parts of the message that are difficult, that you just set and let them simmer for a little bit and, and, and see if it does not soak in. This morning's message is, who do you think you're talking to? Who do you think you're talking to? Do you ever have that happen to you? Maybe when you're a little kid, you lipped off to a parent or to a grandparent or somebody, and they looked at you and they said, hey, who do you think you're talking to? Or maybe you didn't even mean to do it. You said, hey, and they go, hey, who do you think you're talking to? Or perhaps you need help. You know, maybe there's something wrong with your computer, and you take it to a computer guy, and you're like, well, I don't know. Can you, can you fix it? And he's like, who do you think you're talking to? I'm the greatest computer guy in the world. Who are you talking to? I talked to my dad differently than I talked to my grandpa. My dad was a very inconsistent, sick man. And so, I, you know, it's like they said, if you, went to, if you were a part of the 40 days 
uh, small groups, which coincidentally, last week we had 154 people involved in small groups at New Life. I mean, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing with that. So, but I talked to my dad different because like they said in one of our videos, you never knew if you were going to get hugged or slugged. And so a lot of you, some of you, in my, grew up that way. And so I, I approached my dad differently than I did my grandfather, who was consistent. He was firm, he could be strict, but he was loving and he was not abusive. So I approach him different. Last week, Peggy and I were not here because for those of you who knew Dale Hare, one of the founders of New Life, one of the original eight that started New Life, he passed on and so we were asked to officiate and serve at his memorial service, which was a two-day event. And, and, and I shared some stories about Dale to the group at large because I knew them, but then I shared some other stories to some friends of his that were very close and his wife because I knew them better. And I knew that they could appreciate and understand the stories better. Here's the, here's the deal. Our proximity and our relationship determines how we talk to people. So your relationship with somebody and your proximity to them determines how you talk to them. What you know about that person determines your conversation. And that's the same thing is true with God. You might want to write this down if you're taking notes today in your book. Your understanding of what God is really like shapes everything else in your life, including your prayer. Your understanding of what God is really like shapes everything else in your life, including your prayer. Nothing influences your life more than how you view God. There are many misconceptions about God. I lived for over 30 years with misconceptions about God. I saw Him as grumpy, as cranky. You can never please Him. He was always angry or upset. He was the crouching tiger God waiting to pounce on you. He was the cosmic cop patrolling my universe to see where I would mess up. He was always demanding more and more and more that I could never give to Him. And then sometimes we see God as the Santa Claus God. He gives us everything if we're just good enough. Or the toothless grandpa God that sits in the corner of the living room and just doles out good little gifts and you just go to Him when you want something, but other than that, you kind of ignore Him until you need Him. Or the Play-Doh God, the God that you just shape and mold and create into your own image. When it comes to God, it's what He is really like that matters, not what you think of Him. In terms of, you cannot create God in your own image. It's like I've said to people before, you may not believe that if you take a jump off a glacier point, you will fall to your death, but whether you believe that or not, the fact is that will happen. And we try to create God in our own image. And it's really important that we know the real God. Otherwise, our prayer becomes duty. It becomes filled with doubt. It becomes filled with what ifs. It becomes guilty. We just beca it becomes routine. A.W. Tozer wrote, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you because it affects everything else in your life. 
God has many characteristics. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent, which means He is everywhere all the time. We were talking about this the other night in our Thursday night 40 Days men's group, and Al Handy was sharing. Isn't it amazing that God can hear Al's prayer and Eric's prayer and, and prayer in different parts of the world and be engaged with us and focused on each one of us at the same time? And He can because He's God. God is holy. God is just. He is kind. He is loving. And He is faithful. And this morning, what we are going to do, <coughs> pardon me, is we are going to focus on the goodness of God because it is the goodness of God that is the basis for all prayer. When you are around churches where you see a revival culture happening, where people are coming to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, where lives are truly being changed, they don't just look at sin. They focus on the goodness of God because it's your concept of the goodness of God that causes things to happen. The only reason there's any good in the world today is because God is good, always good, and He is the Creator God. And even people that don't know God have attributes of God that, that, we, that we walk in. You can't even spell good without putting God in it. People might say, well then why is there evil in the world? How about that one, champion? And it's simple, again, but it's not easy, and it's because God doesn't force us to do good. And God doesn't force us to choose Him. One of the, one of the grandest ways, one of the greatest expressions of being created in the image of God is that we, like God, have free choice. Because God is always good, there are four to five things I want to share this morning on prayer. And when we understand how God's character really is, the goodness of God, we will enjoy prayer. It won't be boring. It won't be dutiful. It won't be confusing. It won't be what if. When we pray, and sometimes we don't see the answers or it becomes just a ritual, it's not because I don't love God enough. It's because I don't have faith enough. It's because I don't know how good God is and He's mad about you, not mad at you. So this morning, we're going to look at four implications of God's goodness and how He's going to change your life and how this will change your prayer life. And again, I'm asking you to please hear me out as I go through these things. Sometimes I know I'll say something and instantly your experience or your denominational bias or whatever might jump in the way, but I'm asking you to please at least hear this out. Be like the Bereans. Go home, look at it in the Scripture, and then make a judgment. Okay, will you do that? Number one, because God is always good, God's plans, God's plans for my life will always be good. God is good, so by nature, He cannot do evil. He cannot do bad. Everything God does is good, so because God is good, God's plans for my life will always be good. Jeremiah 29.11 says this, I know what I have planned for you, says the Lord, I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. My plans will give you a hope and a good future. And when you call to me and pray, I will listen to you. He is good. He put a lot of thought into creating you. And you might say, well then how do I know God's plan for me? You know God's plan for you in part, it's realized as you spend time in His presence, 
in prayer. It unfolds. David said this in Psalm 31.19. He says, God, Your goodness is so great, You have stored up great blessings for those who honor You. Check that out. He stored it up. God's blessings, all the blessings God wants to give you, He's already thought about. He's put them in His storehouse. He's put them in your blessing account. They're there for you. Because He's a good God. You do so much for those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. As I was praying, God, how do we move into 2018? And it was Eric. My people are devoted to prayer. They're devoted to prayer because when you're in prayer, you're in my presence intentionally. And my spirit is there guiding you and helping you. And so when Dan said, hey, Eric, what about 40 days? It's like, I want us to enter into the blessings that God has for us. And we enter into them. But we can miss the blessings when we're just running around doing our own thing. The blessings are realized as we're spending time in God's presence through prayer. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. We have to learn to ask. This isn't automatic. I, last week, one of the stories I shared about Dale Hare, he was a rancher at a cattle ranch this side of Raymond. And, and if you spent any time with Dale, you knew this story that he, he had a heifer. And she was, a, she was a, this cow. She was about to calve. And she takes off and, 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 and he can't find her. And for a long time, he's looking for her. And he's driving out across the ranch. He's, he's in his quad. He can't ride a horse anymore because of his back. He can't find her. Days go by. A long time starts to go by. Where's this cow? She's calved. And he's concerned. Not only because that's what he does for income, but because he really cared about him. And he's finally, he's on his foot. He's got a stick like a, a buggy whip. And he's going through the brush. And he's just purely given out and he says I stopped and I put my hands in my in my put my put my face in my hands oh lord where is that cow where is that calf and he says when he prayed Dale always loved to say this you know I don't know why but well I didn't hear the audible voice of God but he spoke to my heart and he said Dale look over there and go over there and Dale did and sure enough here comes a healthy cow and here comes a healthy calf and Dale, kind of kicking stones, goes, God, why did you let me go through all this? Why didn't you just tell me this before where this cow was and the calf? And the Lord says, Dale, you didn't ask me. <laughs> and Dale learned at an old age to ask about everything. It's just not automatic. We seem, my prayer even now when I preach or share is, God, don't let me, don't let me just seem that this is automatic. Don't let me just put my feet up. Prayer reveals God's plans and purposes. And the thing about prayer is it reveals the blessings that we would miss. God's not mad at you, as I said before. God is mad about you. He's a good God and He has good plans for you. And you might say, well, Eric, that might be true. And you're up there. God is good. God is good. But not everything in my life is going good. And God didn't promise that it would. He didn't say everything in your life will be good. He says, I have good plans for you. Now, this isn't true all of the time, but we all know from experience this is true some of the times that we miss God's plans by making our own decisions. Amen. 
We exclude God. We do our own thing, and then we say, where's God? God's not real. God doesn't answer prayer. God didn't promise that everything in our lives would have a happy ending this side of heaven. We live in a broken planet. We're broken. Our bodies are broken. Our minds are broken. Our economy is broken. Relationships are broken. Nothing this side of heaven runs perfectly. God didn't say, I promised you perfection. That's called heaven. I was talking to Peggy back in the fall about a, a, a passage in Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 32, about God's blessing on the righteous. And she saw how wonderful it was. And I said, oh, why don't we have that? And Peggy looked at me and then she just said, honey, that's heaven. That's going to be in heaven. In heaven there's no sorrow or sadness or pain or sickness. But here there is brokenness. And the Lord says that even in the middle of all this brokenness, I have a plan for your life. Romans 8.28 says this, and, and just as a, a cautionary thing, this passage I'm going to share with you is true, but when someone is grieving and they're in pain, don't run up and rattle this one off first thing, because it can come off as insensitive. But it's truth of Scripture. This is what Romans 8.28 says, we know that God causes everything or all things to work together for the good of those, look, who love God and who are called according to to his purpose. If you say, God, I'm giving you my life, Jesus. I want your plan. I want your purposes. Eventually, God will work all things together for good. This promise is for everybody, but not everybody is walking in this promise because people choose to deny the Lord Jesus. God says, I want your plan to be good. It doesn't say everything's going to work out good. There, there, there are times when there are just some bitter things in our lives. It's kind of like making a cake. My daughter and my future daughter-in-law, they, they love to bake. You put ingredients in a bowl. By itself, flour doesn't taste all that good, I don't think. By itself, eggs that are raw don't taste all that good, I don't think. Some people like them. Salt, extracts, they're bitter. But when... You let God take the bitter and He mixes it together. He turns it into a batter for you to become better. <laughs> the more you pray, the more you spend time in His presence, because that's what prayer is. It's focused time, intentional time, we keep saying, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. As we spend time with God's Spirit, we're going to know our purposes better. And the better you know your purpose, the more you can use or let God use everything in your life, even the stuff people use against you. Joseph in the Bible, he had brothers that, that sold them into slavery. He ends up in prison. He's falsely accused. And yet he ends up the second in command to the Pharaoh. And years later, when he confronts his brothers, he says this in Genesis 50, verse 20, Your plan was to hurt me, but God turned your evil plan into a good plan to save the lives of many people. That's called redemptive suffering. Hard concept. There's some in this house that I believe, it's my opinion, 
are, in, are involved in redemptive suffering right now. Sometimes you suffer for the benefit of other people. That's what Jesus did for you. When He died on the cross, that's redemptive suffering. He wasn't pray, paying for His sins. He didn't have any sins. He paid for your sins. And like Joseph, God can take the, better, the bitter in your life so that those around you might better know God. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, you guys, we were at the point of death. Our souls were so perplexed, we were at the point of death. And yet, the God of all comfort comforted us so that now we can comfort you in your affliction. Billy Graham says, God does not comfort you to make you comfortable. He comforts you to make you a comforter. When you've been hurt by others, it wasn't good. But can God use it for good? Yes, He can. Because, listen to this, God loves to bring good out of bad. Anybody can bring good out of good? Listen, again, Peg, Amanda, sometimes they watch these cooking shows, I'll walk in on it. Any, any chef can make something really good when they give them the finest ingredients. But God takes the bad. He takes the bitter. And He makes good things out of it. And so the more that we can trust in God's goodness, the more joy we can have. I would go for so far to say that the more we understand God's goodness, the happier we can and will be. Romans 5.3 says, so we can rejoice when we run into problems. That seems kind of crazy, doesn't it? When you're under pressure, when you're in trials, when things aren't going your way, what do you mean we can rejoice? Why? Look at He says, for we know. For we know. And then he lists all these things. Patient endurance and Christ-like character. Because we know. So when we face these things, instead of what is our culture, the culture I grew up in, avoid pain at all costs. We know. We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. In her book, The Christian's Secret to a Happy Life, written in 1875, Hannah Whittle Smith says that our problems and our trials are chariots of God. They are chariots to carry us to greater places in, in God. God's a good God, and He says, if you'll let me, I can take the bad and I can turn it into something good. God's more interested in your character than your comfort. You're not taking anything to heaven but you. And this isn't heaven. So we can't expect it to be perfect. But we can't expect God to take the bad and turn it into good. You may want to write this statement down. And this again is one of those things Write it down. If you're having trouble with it, okay, but write it down. Let it seep in. Think about it. Here we go. Everything God does. Did you get that? Everything God does in my life, He does for my good. God's not trying to get even with you. God's not trying to punish you. What He's trying to do is to grow you. And so that what He does in your life is for your good because He loves you. So the first thing we learn is that God's plans for my life will always be good because God is good. Number two, God always 
gives me what I need, not what I deserve. If you and I got what we deserved, we would not be here this morning. The Bible says this in the 103rd Psalm, He has not treated us as we deserve. He has not treated us as we deserve for our sins or paid us back for our wrongs. Why? Because Jesus paid for all of your sins. Jesus paid for all of your wrongs. Now look, He has taken our sins away and removed them as far as the east is from the west. Do you get that? There is no ending to the east and the west. There's an ending to the North Pole and the South Pole, but there is no end to the east and the west. And God has removed your sins that far. If God has forgiven you, it's time for you to forgive yourself. Listen, King David knew the character of God. He knew the goodness of God. David had a very loyal man murdered because David committed adultery with the man's wife. Those are some pretty heavy-duty sins. Did David deserve forgiveness? Of course not. Did David deserve mercy? No, he did not. But David knew God's character, and he went to God. And let me tell you something. Psalm 51 has helped me when I've been bound up in sin. And if you're in here this morning, and you're bound up in sin, you may want to just soak in Psalm 51. Watch what David says. Look it. He says, God, in your mercy, in your goodness, God, in your goodness, have mercy on me. Wash away all my guilt and make me clean again from my sin. Cleanse me. This is all based on who God is and His goodness, not on who you are. God forgives you not because you are good. God forgives you because He is good. He has a plan, and it's a good plan. And when you blow it, and when you need forgiveness, He gives forgiveness. And here's the really cool thing about this. He not only forgives you, He welcomes you back. Fact is, He never left, you did. And this is the exact opposite of what people do. You know, I've been a pastor for a long time. And I've talked to a lot of people. And while this may not be true of everyone, it's true of most people, and this is it. That most people I have observed, one of their greatest fears is the fear of rejection. And you will do almost anything in your life to avoid it. You plan things to avoid rejection. You don't do certain things. You don't go certain places. You ha only have certain friends because you have a deep, deep fear that you don't want people to get too close and know the real you because if they know the real you, they won't like you. And so we spend our lives wearing masks and we spend our lives pretending to be who we really aren't. But because God is good, because God is always good, He won't reject you. When you humbly return to him you find that he's been running toward you with his arms open wide let's look at psalm 27 one of my favorite passages particularly just kind of of my childhood even if my father and my mother abandon me the lord will hold me close even if my father and mother abandon me and my enemies are against me i will remain confident why Will I remain confident? Because I will see the goodness of the Lord while I'm here in the land of the living or in the world. He's the good Father. And because God is always good, and because God is always gracious, then we can be confident when we pray. We don't have to slink around. 
In Hebrews chapter 4, again, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Hebrews 4, verse 15, talking about Jesus. It says, Jesus understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same temptations that we do, yet he did not sin. So look at, so let us come boldly and with confidence to the throne of our gracious God. And he's talking about prayer. Now look, and there we will receive his mercy and we will find the grace to help us when we need it. Here is the third factor about God's goodness because God is always good. And now listen, this is going to sound like heresy. I'm not being kid, I'm not being funny. But just hear this one out. God puts my good above his good. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the heart of the good news that the king would die for the peasants. When President Reagan got shot, Secret Service men were jumping all over trying to what, do what? Protect him. People, have, people of prominence have, 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 have security all around them. Ours is the good news. Ours, what makes this different is that ours is the shepherd who died for the sheep. Ours is the one who, when God says you've sinned, you deserve punishment, you deserve to go to hell. That's what you deserve. But I am the good God and I love you, but I'm also holy and I'm just. Somebody has got to pay for your sins. Not the one person sitting next to you. 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 Somebody has got to pay. And without blood, there is no remission of sins. And because I love you, I will come to earth as the Lord Jesus Christ. People keep thinking, well, God sent His Son like Jesus was being pushed to earth. Jesus says, the Father loves me because I lay down my life. I am dying for your sins. You're not dying for my sins. The ultimate expression of God's love is the shepherd who dies for his sheep. In John chapter 10, I just read this yesterday in my devotional time. John chapter 10, 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. Look at, I know my own sheep and they know me and I will sacrifice my life for my sheep. This is so good, we don't even get it. No, we sit here like deer in the headlights. Tim, Tim brought it up in our men's group the other night. We're sitting around the table. All this stuff is so great, we don't get it. The King of the universe laying down His life for you. John 15, 13, the greatest love you can have is to give your life for others. So I will tell you this, when you look to the cross, it's not the sign of Christianity. It is not some cool thing. When you wear it on your, in your, you know, across your neck, when you have it in your ears, the cross is the, is, the, is the, there it is. It is the greatest expression of the love of God for you. Because let me tell you this, the Jews didn't put Jesus on the cross. The Romans didn't put Jesus on the cross. You put Jesus on the cross Jesus died of love in the first degree when He spread out His arms for you. For you. 
And not only did he die for our sins, although that's good enough, he puts all of his goodness inside of you. We are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He takes out the bad. He puts in the good. It is the blood transfusion from heaven. It is the great exchange. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, God took the sinless Christ and poured him into him all of our sins. Then in exchange, God poured his goodness into us. Listen to this. Jesus takes the guilt of every rape, of every murder, of every gossip, of every lie, of every molestation, of every injustice, of every evil, of every tax evasion, of everything done wrong in history, and He took it upon Himself. And when the Lord Jesus Christ looks at you, He does not see your sin. He sees the goodness that He's imparted in you. That is the great exchange. Romans 4.25 says, Jesus died for our sins and He rose again to make us right with God, filling us with God's goodness. What does this have to do with prayer? It has everything to do with prayer. Because if I don't understand the goodness of God, I will never really know how I can approach God. Because what God did for you at the cross makes prayer possible. Look at this. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says, Since God didn't spare even His own Son, but gave Christ up for us all, look at, won't He now also give us everything else? When Jesus died for you on the cross, He solved your greatest need. He solved your greatest problem. The Bible says before Jesus, you were dead, you were without hope. Anything else you can ask Him now is small potatoes. If He loved you enough to die for you, do you not think He loves you enough to listen to your prayers and answer your prayers as He sees best? The fourth truth, God is always good. And this is going to be a hard one. Since God is always good, and since He has a good plan for you, and since He is good and He always gives you what you need, not what you deserve, and because God puts your good ahead of His. Number four, God does not say yes to every request. Nothing in the Bible says that everything you ask for, you're going to get. No loving parent would give their child everything they ask for. God's not your genie. God's not your magic wand. God's not your vending machine. In fact, a vending machine will give you things that aren't good for you. You might say, well, what about the stuff that I think is good for me? Let's look at this in another way. And I know I'm kind of looking at this generally. And I know that each person is different. I know that your situations are different. And so I, I, but let's look at it this way. Let's try to see, see it just a, a little bit this way. When, when, when a request is not right, God's just going to say no. We're good parents and we say no to our kids for a hundred good reasons and God does not owe you an explanation. We live in this world where you tell your kid no and they go, why? Like you've got to have a debate. Who said that? 
Now, I get it because of abusive and bad parents. Sometimes, you know, you got to stand, you know, I get that. But if God is always good and God says, no, who is he? Who, he you're not entitled to an explanation. And you say, well, God, you didn't answer me. He says, yes, I did. I said, no. So how about this, though? How about when the timing's not right? Maybe the request is right, but the timing's not right. It was like for me in ministry. I wanted it so bad. But the timing wasn't right. So God says, slow. Just slow down. Slow down. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and they said about somebody new in a, in a job, yeah, they just got to learn to slow down a little bit. Just slow down. Slow means, God's saying, slow means that I intend to give it to you, but the timing's not right yet. And listen, there is a big difference between a delay and a denial. No and not yet are not the same thing. And one of the greatest signs of maturity is that you know the difference between no and not yet. Now, sometimes the, the, the request is right, and sometimes the timing is right, but you're not right. You're just not right yet. And so God is saying, listen, here's the thing. I want to give you this blessing. I want this, but now I, you need to grow. Just spend some time growing. Because yes, I'm going to give it to you, but I need you to grow in this area. I need you to develop a little more, and then I will give you this blessing so that you can handle it. And there's times when the request is right, and the timing is right, and you're right, and God says, go, go for it. Go do it. So there's times when he says no, there's times that he says slow, there's times that he says grow, and there's times that he says get going. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus says this. In Luke 11, verses 11 through 13, he says this. <coughs> Pardon me. <clears throat> you fathers, if your children ask for a fish to eat, would you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, would you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you as sinful people know how to give good gifts to your own children, how much more will your heavenly Father, who look at who's a good Father, watch what He's going to give. Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. It's almost inferred here that the greatest gift other than salvation that you can have is the presence of God in your life through His Holy Spirit. Sometimes we ask for things that we don't really know what we're asking about. The mother of James and John goes to Jesus. She says, Jesus, I want my boys to sit. Can they sit on either side of you when you come into your kingdom? And in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus says, you don't realize what you're asking for. You don't get it yet. You don't see the whole picture. You don't realize it. Sometimes God is saying to us, you don't realize what you're asking for. I can't tell you how many times in my life that's true. You don't realize what you're asking for. What you really want is something different. What you really need is something different. And I'm not going to give it to you because what you think you want is this, but it's really this. And it's not good for you. And I love you enough to not let you have it. And sometimes at the point when God says no, we just have to say, I'm going to trust you in this. I don't see it. I don't realize it. But I will trust you in it. It's easy to trust God's goodness when things are going our way and everything's going great. The test is this, and many of you are in this position right now. How about when you don't see changes? How about when you don't see answers? How about when it seems dark? How about when you feel alone or afraid? And then when you can still say, 
You are a good father. You are a good father. That's who you are. Do we trust our feelings? Or do we trust in the truth and in God's faithfulness to us? Do I trust that God is good even when I don't see it? Do I trust that the sun is still shining when I don't see the sun? I remember Teresa standing right up here. I've said it more than once. We had just gotten done with a worship set, did that song, It Is Well With My Soul. And Teresa stood up and said, It is well with my soul, not because of how I feel, but because God says it is so. Listen, I love expressive worship. You know, I came from a vineyard background. I've gone to, been in revival settings. It's awesome. You know, the Spirit of God moving. But the real test of your faith isn't how high you can jump or raise your hands or sing when things are going good in your life. The real test of faith is how straight do you walk when things just are terrible? When they're not going your way, when you didn't get that job, when your health isn't good, when you put everything you did into that relationship and it still fell apart. That's when you say, God, I trust you. I don't see it, but I trust you. I was going to share from uh, my own experience right here, you know, just kind of insert a little, because uh, I got a few, but I, I wanted to share that, as you know, what we are doing came out of Saddleback Church, and there's a pastor there, Rick Warren, and so uh, it, oftentimes when somebody does material, it's easy to go, well, it's easy for them. They're making a lot of money, they've got no problems, they've got a mega church. But just let me share a couple of examples that I dug up about Rick Warren, some of his quotes. He says, when my wife got breast cancer, the month we launched the peace plan, that's a plan to go into different nations and help out. So his wife gets breast cancer, and he says, come on, Lord, we're trying to do something serious here. This is all for you. And the Lord's going, Rick, don't you think I know that? And he says, and I don't know if my wife's going to die, and I'm praying for healing, and I don't care if it's a miracle or medicine. It doesn't matter to me. I just want a healing. I don't want to lose my wife. And month after month, I'm holding the bedpan while she vomits into it, and she's going through all this radiation and chemotherapy and surgery. Is God a good, good father when your wife's got cancer? And he says, yes. When I have two prayers in my life that I've prayed for every day for nearly 40 years and I'm still waiting for the answer, is God a good father? Warren says, yes. He says, when my youngest son lost his lifelong battle with mental illness, that I had prayed every day that God would take away and he takes his own life and he makes a permanent solution to a temporary mood. Is God a good father when your son commits suicide? Yes, he's still good. Not everything that happens in the world is good and not everything that happens in the world is God's will. And there's a lot of things God doesn't want to happen. But that's because we have free choice. It's one of our greatest gifts and it's one of our biggest curses because God's not going to force you to obey him or love him. The moment of ultimate faith, and I know some of you in this house right now are walking in this level of grace. The moment of ultimate test is when you can say like Job, when you've lost everything, your family, your health, your crops, your businesses. Job says you give and take away, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now that's maturity. 
when you base your life not on your feelings, but you base your life on the truth that God is a good God and he has good plans for your life. And even the bad things that happen, the Lord says, I can fit that into a good plan too. You know, there's a lot of times when you pray for things and they don't happen. Let's just be real honest here. I've prayed for healings for people and I've done their memorial service. I've prayed and spent months as people were going through relational challenges and they still broke up. So does that tell me that prayer doesn't work? No, because I've seen it work too many times. Does it tell me that God isn't good? No, because God is good. Does it say that we should give up because we don't get what we ask for the first time? God's not a vending machine and he's not a genie and God's not always a painkiller. So when I'm in pain and I pray and I don't get the answer, should I give up? No. Our job is to keep praying and trusting God with the answer. Because I know that everything he does and everything he allows in my life is for good. And so we have to accept this no or slow or grow or go because God is good even when we're in pain. If a doctor does surgery on you and he has to cut you open, that's painful. And if you go through the recovery process and it's painful, but it saved your life, you don't say bad, bad doctor. You say good doctor. He just saved your life. And if God doesn't immediately end your pain, he will tell you, my grace is sufficient for you. I remember one time when my son stood right up here on a Wednesday night giving his testimony about type 1 diabetes. He said his favorite scripture passage now was, my, when I'm at my greatest point of weakness, God's strength is perfected. His grace is sufficient for me. A lot of what we learn in life, unfortunately or fortunately, we learn for pain and from pain. And I think that God is more interested in making you a man and a woman of God than he is right now in your immediate comfort. Because comfort's going to last for trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of years in heaven. But right now we're in a growing up stage. And sometimes we hit a point, this side of heaven, it's a good point to get to, but it's a hard point. That you don't know God is all you need until God is all you've got. And then you realize that God does everything for your good. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, the Lord says, My thoughts are completely different from yours, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In other words, you're praying at one level, but I'm thinking about you at another level. In fact, I want your good for you more than you do for yourself. Number five, last one as we get ready to close up. Finally, because God is always good, He invites us to live with Him forever. In 2 Thessalonians, it says, Our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father who loves us has given us by His grace an everlasting encouragement and a good hope and a good encouragement to your heart. When you're in pain, it's not going to last forever. But heaven's going to last forever. Joy is going to last forever. God's love will last forever. Hope will last forever. And may this encourage your heart and give you strength for every good thing 
that you do and say. And one of my favorite passages is Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so when we come to a place where we realize that no matter how bad we feel or no matter how bad it looks that God is for me and not against me, that He's good and He wants good for you even more than you want it for yourself, then that goodness of God becomes the foundation of your life, your relationship with Him, and your prayers. If you don't understand that, your prayers may not have the same power and the same passion. But when you understand that God is for you, now your prayer life becomes passionate. Now there is power in your prayers. Now your prayers have a purpose and they have a point. What do you want to see happen in your life, in your life in the next 40 days as we go through this? In the next 40 days, we're going to continue to grow in our relationship with the Lord through prayer. But all of it starts with this, the goodness of God. What did, let me ask you this. If this is not true, what did Satan attack at the very beginning? To Adam and Eve. Is God really good? Did God really say? God's holding out on you. You, you can do better than God. You can do better for your life than God. But when you understand the goodness of God, then you can really pray effectively. And it starts by asking in James, it says you have not because you ask not. Over the last six months, we've been through major hurricanes. We've seen earthquakes, a church shooting, the largest mass shooting in America. We've seen fires and mudslides. We've seen tensions on an international and national level. And then there's just life that we go through. I thought about it this morning, just, just life. As kids growing up, whether it was me with physical abuse or Peggy being sexually abused from the time she was five years old, whether it's tubal pregnancies or surgeries, near misses with a, a gun, uh, substance abuse, cancer, diabetes, we all have a story. It's not just us, I'm just the guy standing up here. We all have a story. How will we respond to the goodness of God? How will we respond to the grace of God? Because our nation needs a revival. Our nation needs a spiritual awakening. We are, we are, we're lethargic. We're lethargic, you guys. We pick and choose how we'll obey God and follow God and what we'll do. And we put more stock in what's going on around us and in our investments and in our guns and in our this and in our that and our that. We've put God on the back burner, man. Our nation needs a spiritual awakening. Our nation needs a revival. Our nation needs God. And things start happening when God's people will get together and pray. I was reading Psalm 119, and I'm going to ask you to jot these scriptures down, okay? Now, if you haven't been taking notes, now just write it down on anything, okay? Because I'm going to ask you over the next week to do this. If you'll go to Psalm 119, um, <coughs> I think it's verse 37 and 40. Debbie put it up there, yeah. Um, keep this in mind. 
and just pray this. And, and I would invite you just to go to your Bible and open it up and, and pray it in the morning. Lord, keep me from paying attention to what is worthless. Let me live by your word. I want to obey your principles. Please renew my life with your goodness. And I will, and I will tell you this, that sometimes the worthless things that you're going to have to keep away from you are maybe some bad habits that you know that you've got going on. Or maybe they're people that are just, you just need to avoid. Or, or maybe it's, it's, it's things that you're hearing or listening to. And I will tell you this, not because I'm, old, I'm some old dude up here that doesn't like technology, but hear me out, especially you younger guys and girls. Hear me out. Psychologists, and not just one. I'm, hearing, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this, hearing it, reading it. Psychologists are now proving that this over-addiction, this addiction to social media is causing in you anxiety, envy, and depression. They've, they've, they've proved it. I'm like, why are young people so anxious? And then if you would also then write this down, Lamentations 5.21. This is another passage I would invite you to pray, please. God, please, please bring us back to you, God. We're ready to come back. Give us a fresh start or revive us. And then as your pastor, I'm asking you, okay, to pray for four things. Also, write these four things down and pray for them this week, all right? And, and, and I'll go through them slow if you, all right? I'm asking you to pray this. Lord, revive my heart. Lord, revive my heart. Lord, revive my small group. Lord, revive my small group. Lord, revive our church family here at New Life. Revive our church family here at New Life. And Lord, revive the church in Mariposa. Revive the church in Mariposa. Let's pray together. Father, you are a good, good father. And there are many people here, God, that are in pain, but you're still a good, good father. And Lord, we, we've all had prayers that weren't answered the way that we wanted them to be answered. And in the midst of that, we will choose to stay, say you're still a good father. Help us to remember that your plan for our lives is always good. So we choose your plan and not ours. Help us to remember that you always give us what we need, not what we deserve, and thank you for that. Thank you that you not only forgive us, but you pour your goodness into us. Thank you, God, that you're not mad at us, but that you're mad about us. Thank you that you amazingly put our good above your own good, and you did that through the cross by dying for the sheep. You didn't spare your own son. So you'll certainly give us everything else we need. And Lord, even though we don't always understand it, we thank you you don't say yes and go with every request. Your goal isn't to make our lives easy, but to grow us up, and that's hard. But we realize that your thoughts aren't ours and that your ways are higher than ours. And there are a lot of things that we don't understand, and maybe someday we'll understand them with when we're with you in eternity, if, if it even matters then. 
Thank you that you've invited us to live with you forever in heaven. And, and I would say to you this morning, and I don't do this often, I, I don't hardly do it at all, but I would tell you this morning that if you've never opened your life to Christ, just say, Jesus, I want to accept your gift of heaven. I want to accept your gift of forgiveness. I want to accept your gift of a new life. Jesus, I want a relationship with you and I want to put my trust in you. If you've said that prayer, I would invite you at the end of the service to right underneath the sound booth. Elias and Lydia are there and they would love to share with you what's next in your journey with Jesus. And now, Lord, I pray that over this 40 days of spiritual renewal and spiritual growth that you would not only revive my heart personally, but all of our hearts. Lord, that you would revive the small groups that we're in, all of them, not just the 40-day ones, the, the other ones, the Sunday morning group and the Tuesday night group and the, and the, and the Monday morning and, and the, guy, the groups we don't even know that are going on. Revive our family, church family. Revive the church in Mariposa so that we can be change agents in your world. And we pray all these things, Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ.